are going to turn our attention to our series, which is God Part Two, where we are taking a look at how the life of Jesus walks back through the Exodus story and fulfills the promises of God in a new, upside-down way. Now, for me, this is really helpful because personally, I need like to have a picture or an understanding of things. I have to be able to see the whole picture to understand stuff. So what I use in E3 Kids, we have this, um, this great graphic that is called God's Big Story. And it is just a picture of like the Bible, the biblical narrative from start to finish, you can see there. So it's really helpful because when I'm teaching an E3 Kids, I can reference it and say, this is where we are. This happened after this. This happened before this. But if you'll notice, what's right in the middle of this picture? The cross. So naturally, there's a part of this story before the middle. There's a part of this story after the middle. And I think for me, I naturally just want to make sense of things. So I want to say, hey, here's a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? The idea behind God part one and God part two is how does this whole thing fit together and is there more that we are not seeing? That's what we're talking about. So whenever I use this image in E3 Kids, I I have this flashback to my childhood. It reminds me of another guiding image in my life, um, and that is the map from the classic Super Nintendo game, Mickey's Magical Quest. That's right, I have Super Nintendo, I brought it, it works. Few people have already asked me about it. You cannot have it. It lives in my parents' house and I do, I have played it like in the last five years, so no one can have it. Uh, Anyway, the object of the game is to uh, save Mickey's beloved dog, Pluto, who is being held hostage in the castle. Now, this map comes up in between every level so that you have a reference to know where you are and where you're going, okay? So when the game starts, you're at Mickey's house and you're working your way through all of these successive battles to get to the castle. So in between them, you'll look and see where you are. And now Mickey, as he would make his way through the quest, he would acquire more um, like outfits and tools and resources to help him. So um, there was firefighter Mickey, he like would like shoot like water and stuff and there were some levels where you had to have the water because you had to get through the fire or you had to use the fire to defeat whoever like that boss was, okay? And then there was also, I don't know what his name is, but I'm gonna call him Robin Hood Mickey. This Mickey had like, I don't know what the word for it is, but like that rope that you throw and it hooks onto something far away and you can like go to it. He had that thing and you needed that thing when you were defeating this bird. So when the bird would like fly by, if you weren't holding on, you would get like whooshed away. So Mickey, when you're playing this game, you had to know to switch to use all the different things that you need for the quest. Now, I spent one whole summer beating this game. Um, And this was before like cheat codes and you could save your game. So like 
if it was late and I had to go to bed or I lost or whatever, like you, I was going to have to start over the very beginning. I was going to have to go all the way back to Mickey's house. Now, at seven years old, this is pretty much like the biggest thing I had going on in my life at that time. So you can imagine the anticipation and the excitement when finally Mickey reaches that castle. He was victorious in the final battle, and he was reunited with his best friend, Pluto. Now, for seven-year-old me, this game played out, luckily, pretty much according to the map and the expectations that I had, which is great because I would have probably been a very upset seven-year-old. So thank you, Mickey and Disney, for that. But when we have a map or a guide to reference, we gain perspective. We also start developing expectations, though. And if we focus too much on our perspective and our expectations, we can miss the big picture. And I think this doesn't just apply to something like a magical quest. I think this can happen when we apply this idea to our faith and spirituality as well. It's really easy for us to miss the whole story when we are expecting it to play out a certain way. This is the heart behind God part one and God part two, looking at the Exodus story of Israel and the life of Jesus and how these two narratives relate to and inform one another. So when we look at the life of Jesus, it actually takes us back through the story of Israel. God's people who were delivered from slavery, they were guided through the wilderness and into the land that God had promised them, where they repeatedly were conquered and eventually exiled. For generations and generations, they have been waiting for the fulfillment of the law and the dwelling presence of God, the arrival of their king. So we've been looking at this king Jesus. When I think of Jesus' life, I like to divide it into three parts because it's just easy for me to think about. So I break it into his early life, his ministry, and the cross. So far in this series, we've covered Jesus' early life where he announces a new exodus, this new part of this story that's going on. Um, we've looked at his ministry where he actually reenacts this exodus story. Finally, today, we are turning our attention to the cross, which fulfills God's promise of a king for his people. So we're turning our attention to Jerusalem, which signifies this shift towards the cross. But the disciples don't know this yet. Jesus' disciples, who have been traveling and doing ministry with him, are about to find out that he's headed to Jerusalem. Now remember, what are they expecting? This is what they're expecting, okay? All right. When we talk about the Exodus and the story of Israel, this is their story, their history. So it's very real to them. This story they are thinking of, when they are thinking of going to Jerusalem, they are playing out a battle. They are thinking about the oppression of slavery. 
They're thinking about the violence of war. They're thinking about the conquering and submission of one people over another people. God's people are expecting a king that will defeat the enemies of God. Right now, this is Rome. Rome is occupying and ruling this area. God's people are ready for, to, for, God to, for a king to restore Israel, have rightful leadership that God has promised them over Jerusalem. That's what they want. They are expecting a king to free the promised land, right? Which is currently occupied, not free and not theirs. So this is what they know based on the expectations and the perspective that they have been given. And the disciples are about to be confronted with an upside-down reality, a new way of thinking. And Peter finds himself the center of this confrontation, okay? So this is where we're going to start today. We're jumping in at Matthew 16, starting at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took hold of Jesus and, scolding him, began to correct him. God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. Enter my favorite disciple, Peter. Guys, I'm so excited. I've always wanted to talk about Peter. Why is he my favorite disciple? I am kind of a self-centered person, and he's a lot like me, so I just like him. I feel like, though, like if I had like a spirit disciple, like it's like a spirit animal, but a disciple. Come on, guys. If I had like a spirit disciple, it would be Peter, okay? I just relate to him, okay? I'm going to give you guys a few examples. So Peter... Uh, he is the guy that like jumps out of the boat to be in the water with Jesus when he sees Jesus out there. He's like, oh my gosh, y'all, Jesus, he's walking on the water. I don't know if he really said that, but he gets really excited, jumps out of the boat into the water. Now, this is something I would do. I'm going to give Peter the benefit of the doubt, but I'm just going to say if that was me, it's likely I could see Jesus standing out on the water and just say, oh, wow, Jesus is standing on the water, oh my gosh. And like, just like take off and then like maybe right when I jump, I'm like, I did not think this through. <laughs> um, so Peter actually, he does like walk on the water going out to Jesus, but of course he gets distracted and starts to sink. Um, Peter is also the guy that when Jesus gets arrested, he's like, I got you, ain't nobody gonna bother you, fam. And he just like cuts this guy's ear off. It's like, Jesus is like, like puts the guy's ear back on because he's Jesus. But then he's like, you really need to calm down, Peter. Like that's, that's not what's happening right now. You need to put your sword away, okay? So Peter's just not really like a think before he speaks or acts kind of guy. He is not the best under pressure as far as I can tell. I feel like I can say that because I'm like him, okay? So he's passionate, he's enthusiastic, but he can also be anxious and distracted. Now, right before this interaction with Jesus, where he says, hey, we're going to Jerusalem, like right before this happened, Peter was the first disciple to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So like, good job, Peter, right? Um, 
And then Jesus says, you are the rock upon which I am gonna build my church. So guys, Peter is hyped. He is like so gassed up right now, okay? This is a guy who jumps out of boats, cuts people's ears off when he gets excited. Do you know who he reminds me of is my friend, Mickey. Because I could just see Peter being the guy who's like, you're going on the water, Jesus? Like, I'm coming. I'm going to come out. I'm going to be on the water with you, too. I got, like, you know, my swimmies. Whatever, I, whatever things I need, I'm just coming, I'm coming. I'm going to be in the water with you if that's what you're doing, right? Peter's the guy that's like, you know what? If you're getting in a fight, I'm getting in a fight too. I'm ready to battle you, okay? That's Peter. In Peter's mind, this new king, this is the king God's people have been waiting for, Okay? We're gonna go to Jerusalem, we're gonna take it, we're gonna conquer it, and we are gonna have our rightful king finally ruling and reigning as God intended, right? This is what is in Peter's mind. He's ready to fight. So when Jesus actually says, you know what, Peter? You're not gonna need those things, all right? I'm gonna suffer, um, and I'm actually gonna be killed. Peter, again, not the best under pressure, is like, just totally rejects this as a possibility. God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. In verse 23, Jesus responds, but he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Some things you just cannot say unless you are actually Jesus. And uh, this is one of them, okay? So Peter goes on and says, you are a stone, or Jesus goes on and says to Peter, you are a stone that could make me stumble, for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Like, ouch, right? Why does Peter, why does Jesus respond to Peter so harshly? Well, we've heard this before, right? At the third test when Jesus goes out into the desert and he's tempted by Satan, he says this to him. And now again, Jesus knows that the ultimate test now is before him. It comes down to God's thoughts versus human thoughts. Peter wants Jesus to be the same kind of king that has always existed, okay? So if you remember, we talked about this. Remember, God's people are expecting a king that will defeat the enemies of God, restore Israel, and free the promised land. This is a king who conquers and rules, not a king who surrenders and suffers. Because a dead Messiah is a failed Messiah. That's not what we are looking for. That's like game over, we lose. Jesus is yet again presenting a new upside-down reality because he says this new King Jesus is not just going to defeat God's enemy, Rome. He is going to defeat evil itself. This new king is not here just to restore the tribe of Israel. He is here to restore God's good world. 
This new king is not here just to free the promised land. He's here to free all people. Then Jesus said to his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. What does it mean for a disciple to carry their cross and follow Jesus? I mean, if Peter was ready to walk on the water with Jesus, and he was ready to go into a military battle with Jesus, it must mean now that Peter is going to experience suffering with Jesus too. He's probably going to have to let go of these things. He's going to have to lay down that perspective, that picture in his mind, because something totally different is going on. Peter has to let go of his expectations and his perspective. He has to sacrifice the story that he has been living and surrender himself to a new reality. Haven't we all been there? Moments in your life where something just is not playing out according to the map or the picture that you have. It happens. We come face to face with those things. And sometimes the thing that we have to sacrifice is the story that we are believing. Jesus continues, all who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. How does one find their life by giving it up? Personally, I think it's different for everybody, but I would simplify and summarize it this way. To me, to find my life by giving it up means that I am choosing to be a part of something bigger than myself. I'm choosing to believe in a story bigger than me and choosing to participate in it to the best of my ability. I'm going to invite the band up, and um, we are going to close with a song that I feel like just really... Um, encapsulates this idea of just like our picture that we have in our head, letting go of that and saying, you know what, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe I'm not seeing everything clearly. And maybe there is something bigger happening that I can be a part of. So if you guys stand up, we're going to get ready to worship together. But I just want to give you a couple thoughts to think about as we move into this time together. The first is I want you to think about what it would look like for you and your life if you were to trade the perspective of power and might for the perspective of sacrifice and humility. Maybe that's not like a whole huge life ideology thing for you, but maybe it's just a specific instance that you have in your mind where there's something inside you that's making you feel, I want to fight, I can't do this, no, like, can't, you know? What would it look like if you just let that go and said, I'm just going to sacrifice this thought and this picture in my head 
I'm going to yield to humility. What if instead of fighting our way through life, we sacrifice ourselves to be a part of a bigger story? Think about that as we sing together.